0: A father-to-be went on a routine morning walk. His wife was due to have their first child in just five weeks and he wanted to spend the evenings with her, and so because of that, he'd started taking up morning walks so he could come home from work and be around her. But what started out as an early morning stroll to watch the sunrise, very quickly, turned into a living nightmare. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. This show is made from various source documents listed in the show notes. I use news archives, documentary footage and court documents, and so the episodes are accurate to the source materials I can find. You can find all episodes as a podcast version in the description box below. Nathan Trapezano spent his childhood surrounded by four siblings. He loved spending time with them and generally his spare time would be taken up with martial arts training, specifically karate, as well as music hobbies including violin and piano. Although he was skilled at all of these hobbies, they were just that, hobbies, and so Nathan made sure to study hard at school and he gained a place studying to be an actuary. But he rediscovered his love for Latin and Greek culture and language and gained his degree in Latin, Greek and Classical studies at Ball State University. Whilst he was there, he met a woman called Jennifer who he fell in love with. Jennifer was training to become a nurse and was also a hard worker when it came to her studies. She and Nathan spent their university years together and they soon realised they had an awful lot in common. Not only were they both incredibly hard workers and got the most out of life at any given opportunity, but they were also both Catholic and took their religion very seriously. The couple soon finished their courses and firstly moved to Columbus, Ohio, before moving on to Indianapolis, where Nathan was due to start a new job at Ivy Tech Community College. The amazing thing about this is that he was completely self-taught with regards to his computer programming skills. It was very clear to everyone around him how much of a hard worker nathan was indianapolis was likely an attractive place to get a job offer it's a thriving city known to locals as indy and is home to the indianapolis 500 which draws visitors from across the globe to witness the annual automobile races it also has a number of arts venues including the hilbert circle theater and houses a thriving hospitality industry Whilst Nathan had secured a job there, Jennifer was still training to be a nurse and things were just getting better and better. And it wasn't long before Jennifer became pregnant with their first child, who they planned to call Cecilia Marie. They just knew that was the name they wanted to call her from the off. The next little while planning for having a baby was an extremely busy time for the couple. And Nathan really wanted to spend as much time as he could with Jennifer. Their baby was due in May, as was their first wedding anniversary. There was a lot of things coming up. And it was for this reason that Nathan had decided to switch his usual evening gym routine, his usual workout routine, for a morning jog or walk. And as part of this new routine, he would usually leave his house at around 5am. We had talked about him switching his walks to the morning time just because... I was getting closer to delivering and there was more for us to do together in the evenings. And it was just kind of our last chance to spend time together, just the two of us. On the 1st of April, 2014, Jennifer woke up a little before 7am and she was surprised to find that Nathan wasn't home. He wasn't anywhere in the house. She knew that he'd planned to go out for a walk early that morning, but he was always home by the time she woke up. It was confusing for her because even if he wasn't going to be home, if something had held him up, he would always let her know where he was going to be at. But on this morning, he hadn't returned and he hadn't let her know that he was going to be out any longer than usual. And on top of this, when she went downstairs, she saw that Nathan had left his phone on the kitchen table. This wasn't a worry in itself. She would later say that it was quite normal for Nathan to leave his phone at home because he didn't want to be out and about with anything valuable on him. However, as the minutes passed and there was still no sign of Nathan, Jennifer began to become worried. And so she decided that she had no other choice, really, than to head out and actually look for him. And so she made her way out of the house and walked down the street. Now, Nathan usually walked a little, for a little under an hour, so wherever he was at, it couldn't be too far away. But as Jennifer turned a corner, she saw flashing lights and a crime scene taped off in front of her. Nathan wasn't there, but he had been. Right now, he was at the hospital being worked on after suffering some kind of a severe injury. And that's when Jennifer learned that at around 5.50am, a a neighbour had heard a loud popping noise outside. The neighbour looked outside of their window and they saw Nathan lying on the floor just across the street. The neighbour immediately called 911 and while she was waiting for emergency services to arrive, she actually ran out of her house and over to see if she could help Nathan in any way. But as she approached him, it was clear that Nathan was really badly hurt. He was also wearing uh, sweatpants but didn't have any kind of shirt on and his shoes were off. And as this neighbour got closer to him, she saw that there was a bullet hole in his stomach and he was bleeding a lot. Now, despite Nathan having been conscious and able to talk when the neighbour first approached, by the time that paramedics arrived at the crime scene, he was completely unable to talk with them. His condition was clearly getting worse and worse and that's when Nathan was rushed to hospital. Sadly though, and despite the medical professional's best efforts to keep him alive, Nathan was pronounced dead at 7.40am. This made absolutely no sense to Jennifer or to anyone that knew Nathan. He was so loved and just didn't have any enemies, certainly no one that would want to do this to him. The investigating officers decided they needed to determine who could have done this. And so the first step was searching that nearby area for evidence, including CCTV footage. And on top of this, they spoke to Jennifer about his general morning routine to find out what might have happened. It turned out that Nathan usually left a little bit before 5am to go for his morning walk. And he would plan to be out for around an hour, so he would be home by about 6am. On this morning, like any other morning, he took his mp3 player rather than his more expensive and valuable mobile phone. And he would usually do a walk locally, so not straying too far away from where he and Jennifer lived. And that is the information that she gave the detectives. Now, as the investigating team got to work on surveilling the area, they did manage to gather CCTV footage and they also began asking residents of the local area if they had seen or heard anything that morning. Many of the people they spoke to did confirm that although they hadn't seen anything specific, this kind of event wasn't necessarily a surprise to them. The area was known for being home to trouble and violence, and although it was of course shocking to learn of their neighbours' death, wasn't necessarily unbelievable the police's efforts paid off and they did actually manage to get CCTV footage that tracked Nathan's movements and it showed a very telling story the grainy black and white footage shows Nathan walking down the road quite quickly and behind him a man is running up towards him then a little later a second man who was confirmed as the lookout appears in the frame Then, the two men approach closer to Nathan before one fires the gun and Nathan falls to the floor. The final footage released to the public was that of the two men running away from the crime scene. Given that the CCTV footage didn't specifically identify the suspect as someone known to Nathan or Jennifer, Detectives decided to look into other shootings that had happened in the nearby area, hoping that there might be some kind of a lead and they wanted to see if there was any chance of linking what had happened to Nathan with any other deadly crimes. Throughout their investigation, they learnt that another shooting had taken place less than 24 hours after Nathan's murder. Simeon Raheem Adams, also known as Red was just 16 years old. He was currently lying in a hospital bed in critical condition after having been in a shootout. The details were that he had started shooting at a man called Eric and in total, he fired three shots. Eric had then fired back in an act of self-defence and struck Simeon in his neck. Emergency services had been called soon after, and he was now being worked on and stated as critical. Meanwhile, detectives did some more digging into Simeon's background, and they learned that he was also a key suspect in a burglary of a shop that sold guns. This burglary had resulted in over 30 firearms being stolen, and officers thought that the gun that had been used in Nathan's murder may well have been one of the stolen guns. On top of this, they got some information from a business nearby. It was a strip club that had been open on the night in question and a bouncer who had been working there said that he might have some information. At 3am on that morning, the bouncer had spotted Simeon and two other men attempting to steal a car. The bouncer saw what they were doing and he tried to stop them and he actually managed to stop them. And after that, the three men all left down the street this same street that led to and was less than a mile away from where Nathan had been murdered. Bear in mind, this attempted car robbery had been just two or so hours before Nathan's murder. The investigating team pulled the CCTV footage from outside of the strip club and they could very clearly see Simeon and another man were wearing the same clothing As the men from this crime scene CCTV footage, it was very obvious that these were the same people and now they had an identity. He has some sort of design, possibly camouflage pants. His shoes are mostly white with maybe a black streak down the uh, tongue area, maybe black shoestrings. Here comes suspect number two who act as the uh, lookout. That's the uh, victim. Here's the suspect. Obviously his hands are out, you know, he's being told something. See his pants, are kind of discoloured looking, like there's some sort of design on them, maybe camouflage. See his pants, you can see it in that light there. There's obviously some sort of design or camouflage or something on them. However, they needed to actually question Simeon and they needed to do this as a matter of urgency. But the problem was that right now he was lying in a hospital bed in a critical condition and there was no saying that he'd make it through the night and so the investigating team had to think of another way around this they were concerned about Simeon's recovery and they couldn't question him right there and then but at the same time they know that They need this information and they know that they might be able to get that information if they could question some people who were close to Simeon and knew him really well. As part of the investigation and speaking to locals, detectives identified a man that they needed to talk to called Martez. The detective's patience did pay off. Martez was shown a section from the CCTV footage from the crime scene And he confirmed that the man in the CCTV was definitely Simeon. He went on to say that he knew it was. He wasn't just friends with Simeon. He knew him incredibly well. In fact, he was his cousin. Martez went on to say that he'd been with Simeon that morning, and he went on to confirm things that only the police and Simeon would have known, like his whereabouts and the timeline of the early morning hours. After that, Investigators did manage to talk to the other person that was in the CCTV footage, the person they identified as the lookout, but ultimately they wouldn't actually end up charging him. And the reason they decided against charging him was because if Simeon ever woke up and he was well enough to be charged, they would need that person who acted as lookout to give evidence against Simeon. And they so they sort of traded this for not convicting him or charging him. The lookout was identified as a 16 year old, but given that he hasn't been charged, his name has never been released. And so we're just gonna call him Jamie. So over the course of the next few uh, hours and days, Jamie gave a detailed and clear retelling of what had happened on that fateful night. He told them that Simeon had randomly come across Nathan And he'd made him stop and he had a gun and so Nathan having no kind of weapon or anything to protect himself obviously had to listen to Simeon. Simeon made Nathan walk to the strip club past the strip club and to a tire shop nearby and then he ordered him to take his shirt and his shoes off and he waited for Nathan to raise his hands up before shooting him dead. Jamie added that not long after the shooting, sometime after 6am, Simeon had woken up a friend of his by banging on the door and the man answered and Simeon was out of breath. He was panicked and he informed this friend that the police were looking for him because he'd gotten into some sort of physical altercation with someone and ended up shooting him. Despite all odds, Simeon did make a recovery We know there was an awful lot of evidence against him, at least in terms of the stolen gun charges. They presented this evidence to him and told them exactly what they knew. And after that, he was taken into custody and officially charged with attempted robbery, carrying a pistol without a license, and of course, murder. Simeon pleaded guilty to murder, with his attorney stating that his troubled childhood should be taken into account when sentencing him. Specifically, it was um, raised that Simeon's mother had drowned when he was just 13 years old. He'd had a really rough childhood. His father was in and out of prison and it meant that his home life just wasn't stable. His uncle even said that there were signs that Simeon may progress to a crime like this, given his teen years, where he was known for getting in trouble, for having a criminal record from just aged 10 and later in his teen years, having access to guns. But of course, we know that having a complex or troubled childhood doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go around killing people. I can't help but think how tragic this is for everyone. Simeon was only 16, but he did make this choice, and Nathan lost his life because of Simeon's choice. Shockingly, there's actually footage of Simeon laughing and by all accounts having a bit of a joke as he's going to and from the courtroom for sentencing this continued into the courtroom itself to the point where the judge noticed this and decided to comment on it the judge actually had to ask if he understood the effects of his behavior and if he was sorry for what he'd done but he just said quote no ma'am And that was it. Jennifer's victim impact statement is incredibly moving. I will link it in its entirety below, but for now, here's a section of it. Quote, My life stopped on April 1st, 2014. I have been shocked to the core of my being. I feel battered and bruised, never whole again without him. I can no longer live an ordinary life and my heart suffers from the deepest wound a wound from which it will never recover. I was his wife for just over 10 months and then he was taken so suddenly from my life. The impact of Nate's murder has been catastrophic. The loneliness and sadness I feel is enormous. Simeon was sentenced to 55 years for the murder and a further 12 years for the shooting of Eric, the man who had ended up injuring uh, Simeon in self-defense. Jennifer went on to have her and Nathan's baby, and she graduated her class with honors, where she gained a job as a physician's assistant, which is what she always wanted to do. In memory of Nathan, his family have set up the Nathan Trapezano Foundation, and it aims to support children who have lost a parent. The outro today, as you can hear, is a little different. This is actually Nathan's piano playing, which is featured on the website that has been set up for his foundation. One of the ways they raise money for this kind of amazing work is through a scheme or an event called nate walk and it's a walking event of five kilometers the events are held once a year in indianapolis uh, indiana and pittsburgh but you don't actually have to be in these areas to take part and you can instead register as a virtual walker and pledge to walk or run on your own I will leave a uh, link to more information about Nate Walk in the description box below just in case you wanna join in next year. On that website, it says that an outpouring of community support led to raising $170,000 to cover funeral expenses and also set a fund up for Cecilia. And that's thanks to family, friends, employees, acquaintances, and strangers from all over the country.